Welcome back to ELT Under the Covers. I'm Neil of Team Teacher Fame, and I'm joined by my co-host. Hello, Professor Rich. Again, I just keep showing up. I still haven't been paid yet. <laughs> and today we have uh, an illustrious guest. Uh, he is the senior senior lecturer in the Centre of Language and Linguistics at the Canterbury Christchurch University on many of their programs, linguistic languages, a whole bunch of different things. Uh, he's a humanistic teacher trainer, author of Teaching English with Drama, Putting the Human Center Stage. The world is his theater and the classroom is his center stage. Without further ado, we have Mark Allman. What I'm saying is, you know, our teaching needs to acknowledge that. And by using certain, certain performance-related skills, that's one way of achieving it. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Very glad to be under the metaphorical covers with you. <laughs> <laughs> we try. We do what we can. It's great to have you on the show, Mark. Um, we've got so much to cover, and we'd like to start from the beginning. So can you, you know, go back in time and... Tell us your origin, please. My my origin. Yes. Okay. Um, well, as I mean, as you, as you mentioned in the introduction, um, the main focus of a lot of my my um, classroom teaching and teaching training and also research um, is is based on uh, theatre practice and, and and drama. So it's probably a good idea to sort of take you back before. I actually went into teaching yes. and, and where, I, where I discovered my love of drama and theatre. It was basically a secondary school. Um, I went to an all-boys grammar school in the Medway Towns. I don't know if you've heard of the Medway Towns. And there were 2,000 boys on site. And it was in the Medway Towns, a very sort of working-class area. Mm, yeah. um, quite a challenging school for the teachers mm. um, and also for, you know, for a lot of the students. But anyway... To cut to the chase, I um, I was uh, 15, 14 or 15, and uh, the school drama department was advertising uh, auditions for their upcoming play, Kez. Ah, uh, love it. Um, <laughs> yeah, if you've heard of that, if you've heard of that, that well, it's obviously based on a... Ne Neil's a big fan of Kez, I believe. It's my dad's ah. favourite book uh, and movie. Right. Yeah, based on the book, um, A Kestrel for a Knave. So anyway, so, so up to that point, I really had no interest at all in, in, in drama, but a friend of mine at school begged me to go with him to the auditions because he didn't want to go on his own because he was, you know, sort of was lacking confidence and stuff. So I, I, I went for the auditions and, um, and, you know, I put on a Yorkshire accent <laughs> <laughs> and lo and behold, I actually got the part of Billy Casper, which is the the main part in, in the play Kez. Yeah. Mm. And it, I mean, it, 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 it's, it's, a, it's a massive part. So it, it required an enormous commitment for me. Um, and you know, one of the good things is it got me off lessons quite a lot as well in order to do that sort I shouldn't be saying that, should I? No, well, it's out there. <laughs> um, so, and anyway, so I did it. We rehearsed it for, for a few months and, and, and we put it on. And it was 
one of the most amazing experiences of my life in so many, so many ways. Um, and, you know, the memory of doing it and, uh, you know, will, will stay with me forever. And so fast forward a number of, of years, um, straight out of college, um, I did French and German business at, at college. And then straight out of college, uh, I got a job in Saudi Arabia. And it was an admin job. So it's a very basic job, nothing to do with languages or language teaching at all. Went out there, spent about a year and a half out there. Um, and while I was out there, got talking to people in, uh, you know, well, some people I met out there. And um, some of them were English language teachers. Oh. And this was um, sort of late. Now, this was early 90s, right at the beginning of the 90s. Um, and up to that point, this idea of teaching English as a foreign language or a second language or whatever, I, I didn't even know it existed. I didn't even know that the field existed. But I got talking to them. You know, it sort of it really interested me because when I was at school, really the only subjects I was interested in were um, modern foreign languages. And I had some great um, language teachers at school. Um, and so this whole idea of possibly teaching English as a foreign language, it sort of it fired an interest in me. So my contract ended in Saudi, came back to the UK and jumped on to the CELTA course. Did the CELTA course, um, was successful in that, and I've never looked back since. Did the CELTA course at, um, at Pilgrim's, well known for their humanistic approaches to language teaching. Mm. Um, and there were guest lecturers on the course like Mary Rowan Valucri um, and Judith Baker. Um, I don't know if you've heard of her, but uh, she's written quite a lot, I think, to do with metaphor in language teaching. Um, and it was just a really, really inspiring beginning to my career in ELT. And uh, so for a number of years in Canterbury, um, I taught at various private language schools. Uh, and then I ended up doing my MA in TESOL at Christchurch University, where I'm actually currently teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, and what's happened is since I, um, since I started teaching at, at Christchurch, I, I started by doing some just straightforward EFL teaching, and that was wonderful. Um, but... Um, I was also able, though, to get involved in in other related programmes, so, you know, to do with applied linguistics. Um, and then I eventually uh, started teaching on our MAT song uh, myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I teach on undergraduate modules like um, on interpersonal communication and um, communication studies and, and things like that. So, so basically, right now... Um, I'm still involved in ELT in the sense that I, I run our CELTA courses and I, I teach on our MAT song, but I'm also involved in, in other branches, such as, you know, related to applied linguistics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I saw that you had, you were wearing many hats. I was like, wow, this guy's yeah. linguistics, <laughs> language, uh, the ELT and uh, sociology. Yeah. Uh, I was like, what? Well, sociolinguistics. So, sorry, sociolinguistics. Ah, yeah. There's yeah. so many. 
Well, yeah, but I mean, in a way, though, I think as, you know, all sort of conscientious EFL teachers or language teachers, mm. they are, they're also kind of experts in things like sociolinguistics, mm. interpersonal communication, because I think, mm. you know, the way English language is, is, is broadly taught mm-hmm. these days, these aspects of, of you know, real-world communication come into play. And, and they're taken into consideration. Mm-hmm. And I think what's really good is more and more, it's slowly trickling in, but more and more ELT materials are including these aspects of real-world communication. Yeah. Um, which, are, you know, which I think is, is, mm-hmm. is essential in this globalised place yeah. we live in. You know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. Yeah, there's lots of discussions to be had on that subject, absolutely, isn't there? Um, you know, uh, standardization of languages being one of them, a bit of a hot potato, and we've kind of spoke about it a little bit before. And I know that um, the, the sort of academic consensus uh, or the academic kind of inclinations tends to be against the standardization of languages as if, uh, you know, it's kind of uh, some sort of evil in the world that's killing off all the languages, which obviously for applied linguistics academics, then um, that's that's not particularly positive. But my, my experience as a kind of on-the-ground teacher uh, is often that uh, the vast majority of students really like to have a standard and they have kind of a favourite standard that they want to get. And that, as a, uh, not only as a language teacher can I relate to that, but I can also relate to that as a language learner. Uh, when I was learning Spanish, I didn't, I didn't want to sound like an international Spanish speaker, right? I wanted to sound like, uh, in my case, the continental European Spanish, because that's where I lived, right? So I really right. tried to sound as much like them and not like a, an English person speaking Spanish. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm aware that my, I think my opinion's kind of in the minority these days, especially among uh, teachers and, and academics. Yeah. Well, I, th- I mean, I think what you're talking about there, Rich, is that, is, you know, wherever we find ourselves in the world, you know, we want to fit in. We don't want to stand out. We want to be part of a group. Mm. So if you were living in Spain at that time, I don't know where, where it was, but, mm, you, you know, you, you wanted to sound as much as possible like mm. the, the locals. Yeah. So you kind of fit, so you fitted in with them. Yeah, that's totally. That's, that's, that's just... Uh, and I, and I, I guess there's a little bit of a, a stigma there as well with the kind of Benidorm you know, kind of bad reputation of like expats in Benidorm, you know, and I kind of obviously want to distance myself from that. And if you go, if you go around Valencia saying, you know, quiero una cerveza, then it sounds, you know. <laughs> I've no idea what you just said. Yeah, yeah well, I, I want a beer in, in, with a very bad accent in oh, yeah, Spanish. Yeah. And uh, yeah, yeah. And maybe then you get the special prices as well, you know. But anyway. Yeah. And this this sounds kind of like where, where you come into it, Mark, isn't it? Where you you point as you pointed out it's your the rich was wanting to fit in and you know that's not necessarily the idea of you know this puritan idea of well we're just learning the language it's kind of a broader there's a broader psychology to that and how do we bring that into the classroom yeah oh absolutely you know when you think of um you know, how widely English is spoken around the world these days. Um, and, you know, the the multitude of reasons, you know, people learn English, um, where they're learning it. You know, I mean, I think that's one of the real difficulties of, of international coursebook writers these days, because they're write, trying to write for a market and they don't really know who they're writing for. So, for example, you know, if you're learning English um, in, 
uh, Japan, let's say, and uh, the course book being used is very sort of UK centric, you know, with lots of, mm. you know, British idiomatic expressions mm. and stuff. Yeah. It, you know, so it's up to the individual teacher very much mm. to take the responsibility to, you know, to, yeah. to, to, to find the right balance and to assess yeah. the students' needs in the That's moment right. and, and, yeah. and address them in different ways. And that will mean sometimes using a course book, sometimes using online material, you know, just using a range of resources in order to, in order to meet those individual students' uh, yeah. needs. Um, yeah. Yeah, because also, you know, sort of going back to what you just said, um, Neil, uh, sort of the social psychological um, aspect of, of, of teaching is, is so, so important. I think that's what I do try and cover in my... Um, in my book, in, ter in terms of the, uh, you know, the <laughs> trying to develop, if you like, the soft skills of our students in class. I don't like the term soft skills actually, but mm -hmm. it sounds a bit negative. But they are called they refer to as the soft skills, and, mm -hmm. and there I'm talking about you know sort of interpersonal skills, um, and you know sort of you know analysing typical classroom discourse and you know what makes classroom interaction work and not work how do, how do we communicate with our students inside the classroom mm -hmm. to challenge them sufficiently to to engender a really sort of a positive view of the language we're teaching them mm. and and you know aspects of culture and all all those kinds of things mm. and and you know ultimately in terms of our students you know um, wherever our students might be learning English, it's, I, I think it's, you know, probably more importantly, the methodology mm. is just creating that environment inside the classroom mm. that will give students the, the, the kind of the autonomy, the creativity, the confidence to be able to apply what they do in the classroom to wherever they may find themselves in the world yeah. after. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. wherever they may be using yeah. their English, you know, whether it's a Japanese yeah. student doing business with a German right, right. in English. Yeah. Do you know right. what, it, what it reminds me of um, when I was l reading your, parts of your book and articles that Richard sent me and uh, listened to different interviews and stuff like that? It reminded me of, um, you know, the, the humanistic counseling approach, you know, the, the Carl Rogers Maslow mm. idea of, you know, combining the, the behaviorist and the psychology together, where this, the idea, the overall arcing idea of self-actualization, but it applied to linguistically, because that's kind of what we're aiming at. We're not aiming, we sound, with you, it seems you're not so much aiming at teaching a language, but aiming at you know giving the students tools to be able to you know continue to learn or you know better learn a language along with you know learning that language in the classroom and doing that through interpersonal skills and this relationship that you build so it's hugely interesting to me yeah well no i think that's i think that's a really good point because you know one of the modules i teach at uh, at christchurch is is called exploring english language teaching past present and future and so we sort of we look over historically how especially english language teaching has evolved sort of since well really the 1940s 
Mm. Um, and, you know, in that, I'm always reminded of, for example, some of the fantastic foreign language teachers I had at school. Mm. And wow. they must have gone to school <laughs> back in the sort of the early 60s, I guess, some of yeah. them. And so they must have learned, you know, through grammar translation or bilingualism. Yeah, yeah. And, they are, you know, they were pretty competent French and German speakers. Yeah. So I think kind of the conclusion I've come to is that there are many methodologies. You know, we all talk about CLT at the moment, communicative mm. language teaching. Mm. And, of course, it's hugely influential, important, mm. and all the rest mm. of it. Mm -hmm. But there are other methodologies out there. Yeah. Um, and, you know, different learners respond differently to different methodologies. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, a lot of, you know, a word that language teachers and teacher trainers use these days is, uh, is eclectic. I'm, I'm, I'm very eclectic in my approach, don't you know? And, uh, well, I'm kind of taking the mid, but because but, yeah. I'm eclectic. Yeah, you right, know, right, right, right. <laughs> I am eclectic. Yeah, um, it just it just sounds kind of uh, deliberately. What's the word? Uh, it's, it sounds a bit jargony, doesn't it? But yeah, it no, I know what you mean. Yeah, it's kind it's of a like, tired. It's a tired cliche. <laughs> you, you have to have a lot of different tools in your box, right? You do, Something like that, mm. in order to meet those needs of a particular group you're teaching at a given yeah. at a given time. Yeah. So you know, over the years, so much has been written about these different approaches and methodologies, mm -hmm. which is all well and good. You know, often though by 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 authors um, who, of, of course, they don't know their audience. You know, they try and have to they have to try and cater for different teachers and teacher trainers who teach in a multitude of contexts. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Whose who, who students have completely different needs mm. um, and preferred, you know, sort of ways of learning. Um, and so it's it's hard hard to do that. It's important, of course. It's important to do that, and it raises our awareness, and um, you know, it hopefully encourages educators to take on board what other people have written and said, and try and see how they can how it can affect the way that they teach a particular group of, of, of learners. Um, so you know, of course, it's you know, incredibly important, all this work on methodology and, and approaches to language teaching. But for, for me, there, you know, there seems to be a, a lack, certainly in ELT, maybe not so much in mainstream education, actually, because when I wrote my book, Putting the Human Center State, I did um, uh, reference a, a lot of books which were written for mainstream teachers. And by that, I mean teachers... Uh, who who work in a in the state sector mm -hmm. of, of uh, you know any school? Mm -hmm. um, so uh, I you know I I strongly felt that that was a gap mm. there in our field that needed further exploration. Mm -hmm. So you know, reflecting on on my kind of um formative years of, of you know being an EFL teacher and how I gradually started incorporating more drama and theatre techniques into my mm. language teaching mm. and found it to be great fun for a start mm. um, but really memorable 
and actually very, very useful. Can you, can you give us some um, examples of techniques that you would start to introduce, you know, why you found them effective and kind of what the, you know, what your experiences are with them when you've had, when you've had other teachers uh, apply them as well. So we can kind of get an idea of what it looks like. Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, for, for a start, the word the word drama is is a, is a massive kind of um, umbrella term. It like English. Yeah, exactly. Communication. I want to learn no. English. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but so, so 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 it can kind of it can range from you know simple warm up activities mm-hmm. that are designed to um, to encourage group bonding, group cohesion. Um, uh, you know. D- um, create a, a sort of a, a relaxing atmosphere in the classroom. So very simple, quick drama activities that, for example, get students up, moving around the space, mm. uh, maybe um, touching each other in the sense of like, like um, take that smirk off your face, Neil, uh, in the sense of things like uh, shaking hands and, and greeting each other, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, these are, I mean, even a simple yeah. warm-up drama activity that yeah, requires students yeah. to do that. It's, yeah, yeah. it's kind of a reflection of yeah. real-world language use because yeah. when we communicate with others, that's the kind of thing we do. Yeah. I, I remember having a bit of experience with this when um, I used to work at a summer school uh, just outside of Oxford in Radley. Uh, and uh, I worked there four years in a row. Um, I started to become known for the pantomimes. I decided to do I decided to do some pantomimes. They'd never done a pantomime before. I'd never, um, like organized a pantomime before right and I uh, so we just did these like five minute pantomimes as part of a project right and um the the second year I did it they actually got like a theater specialist uh it's a guy I think he actually owns his own theater or he's, he's kind of high up in a theater anyway Andrew Lloyd and, um, <laughs> not quite no 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 um yeah no he was a, this is this was a young chap um and um you know he was he was great fun he normally worked at one of their other centers which was more specialized in that kind of stuff and he'd come over for a week uh to sort of to do, do the pantomime with me and I you know I was kind of you know support teacher in that role because obviously he was he was the expert and you know he wasn't a language teacher, right? So he didn't know about things like grading his language and stuff like that. That was that was sort of my role. I was there to kind of make sure that everyone understood what they were doing because he'd just be kind of speaking like a, like a drama teacher, right? As if he was speaking to natives and sometimes they wouldn't really know what was going on. But actually they kind of do understand because they just kind of see what other people are doing. And I remember he did this great activity where like, uh, he just gets everyone walking around. It's like walking to space, walking to space, right? It'd always be walking into space. And he just kept adding these extra commands. So they'd be like, uh, you know, like slow, slower and faster, first of all. So they're walking even faster or they're working slower. And then he had one that was like wizard, where they pretend they have a staff and they go, you shall not pass. And then there was like other ones, like, I don't know, wolf, and everyone goes, oh, you know, whatever. Uh, and obviously, if you said slower, then you have to do it slower. So it's like, you shall not. And they loved it. They absolutely loved yeah. it, you know. And yeah. I, I, for me, like, I really think the idea of engagement is just critical to learning and education. If I think about all the skills that I've done well at, they've been the things that I've really enjoyed doing. And uh, and so things like that, where, you know, these students can have just a great time. Uh, and of course, there's language involved in it. Um, yeah. you know, I, think, I think there's a lot of value in those activities. Yeah. No, I mean, you know, the activity you've just described is basically total physical response, isn't it? Mm. You know, which is something that was, 
you know, first devised back in the 1970s. Mm. Um, and, um, you know, it's kind of an early um, sort of element of CLT. Yeah. Um, and, you know, what you're talking about engagement, you're getting students physically engaged and you're getting them emotionally engaged as well mm. because you may make them uh, laugh, which is getting them emotionally engaged because they're listening, they're responding to what the teacher or the workshop leader is saying and they're interacting with it. Um, so there are different different levels of engagement which are really important. You know, ultimately, we as language teachers, what do we want to do? We want to equip our students with, you know, with useful language and useful skills in order for them to be able to communicate in their futures in English in any given context. Mm-hmm. And so getting students physically and emotionally engaged in their learning in this way, it makes it much more fun and therefore much more memorable and meaningful. Yeah. And, you know, I'm sure the, the, the students that were taught by this or Mr. Lloyd Webber, or whoever, yeah. um, you know, they will probably forever remember that workshop. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. In, in, the, in so. the way that you, yeah. you know, remembered Kez and, you know, that experience that you have, that you've brought into your life now. Mm. The, yeah. the issue that I see, and I don't, I don't have an issue with it, but it's a, 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 I'm doing a devil's advocate perspective, is from the outside, it just often looks like, well, you know, if they're walking around, you know, whistling and, you know, uh, making wolf noises and, you know, playing with their <laughs> staff and stuff like that, how, how is how is that learning English? You know, um, <laughs> you know, how do you how do you justify all this dancing around when, you know, they should be learning the language? So you know, how, how do we justify that where it, it starts? Because the thing is that in our industry um, because it is an industry we there are elements where it leans too much into that and you know we call you know these sort of teachers you know um maybe dancing monkeys on the on less down you know edutainers which i'm kind of okay with that term mm. but where where is that line and yeah. you know how do we know when we've got we've gone too far we've indulged too much into that entertainment and it's kind of taking away from the 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 learning of the language mm. okay so um so the so okay let's refer let, let's use um rich's uh, activity as an as as an example so uh you know it's completely understandable for people now in our profession to say you know, drama, there's no structure to it. It's just chaos. Mm-hmm. Um, students don't really learn much. So they're just dancing about and, you know, not actually learning much language. Yeah. They're having um, fun. It's awful. Having, <laughs> it's not important. <laughs> but, um, yeah, but, but, you know, so the kind of activity that Rich just described, I would possibly, you know, if I'm with a group of language learners, I'd possibly spend three minutes doing that kind of activity. It's a nice warm-up activity, introduces some vocabulary. Um, I would um, hand over responsibility to a couple of other students to give commands to the others and that they would have to follow them. Uh, and so that's getting some of the students using some some of the la- some language. Um, but then I would quite naturally move on quite quickly from there and start saying, right, so 
Um, let's not use the wolf as an example, but um, let's say um, the workshop leader or the teacher um, got students to walk in a particular way during this activity. Yeah. So then afterwards I'd say, right, okay, quickly get into groups of three and think about, you know, try, try and come up with a kind of a backstory for the for this person who walks in that in that kind of way. And gradually by you know by using questions and prompts, um, I'd encourage students to create characters and then create a scene and then do an improvisation based on those characters in the scene. Mm. But but the, the point is, you know, if if you are committed to using a drama approach in the in, in the language classroom, um, you can't expect students to just jump into a piece of creative drama work cold. You know, they need to be guided quite gradually. Now, I know time is always of the essence. People who, who teach in state schools, maybe a lesson is only 40 minutes long, sometimes mm. not even that. Mm. So you've got to take that in, into consideration. Mm. But, but this kind of process approach to producing something theatrical or dramatic at the end of it is, is really important. Mm. You know, drama, in, you know, in the context of language teaching, isn't just you know, 15, five-minute fun larking about drama activities in a lesson. Mm. Far from it. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you know, going back to, to Rich's example, you know, you can start exploring voice mm. and focus on prosodic features mm. and think, right, okay, so how do you think that character speaks? What do they do with them? And then, you know, you can start slowly introducing different ways of speaking mm-hmm. as well. And you can get... And, you know, these are all part and parcel of of real world communication mm-hmm. you know dealing with voice paying attention to people's voices paying attention to people's non-verbal behaviors is all really important it's often neglected and i think that's why you know drama in you know in the right hands can be can be very useful in this way and i know again it's another very tired cliche but um, i'm going to say it anyway but it is it's a whole person approach Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't just deal with spoken language or written language. It doesn't only deal with you know, the, you know the, the grammar of the language, you know, and, and, and the lexis and stuff. Um, you know, it's it's the whole picture, and and, and it's kind of going back sort of five minutes um, when you know I first started talking about sort of um, you know answering your question, what does drama look like? Uh, for me, the most valuable experience, and I'm, you know, I'm fairly confidently say for my students as well, the most valuable experience was actually putting on a play, a one-act play with a group of students, um, and over a whole term, maybe rehearsing for 90 minutes a week. That's not a massive, it is a commitment, but not a massive commitment. Um, and it allows you to look at all aspects of communication and language, and that includes grammar. You know, um, there's no point rehearsing a short play with a group of language students if they don't understand some of the, some of the points of it. So right at the beginning, you need to make sure everything that's said within the play is understood. Right. So obviously that means choosing the play very carefully to um, 
you know, according to the level of your of your class. And then you know you can use you can use the play as a springboard into lots of different um, areas of language, you know, grammar, vocabulary, functional language, uh, idiom, slang, um, and also those you know those sort of aspects of face-to-face communication, like you know hesita- hesitation and interruption, and you know. So it's kind of like your your course book. This is your yeah. thing that you refer to, and then from Absolutely. that you kind of build around, yeah, build lessons around that. But it's more yeah. open because you can focus on things that you're not. So you you know the words, you have the story. So here's an opportunity to you know you know add more, I guess, context and you know. Yeah. Well, the context is, is all there, isn't it? Yeah. You know, the context is all, is all there. So, you know, so from, from, a, from a language and communication point of view, you know, it's, it's obviously listening because they have to listen to each other and just react to what the, their co-actors um, are saying. Um, but there are all those other elements as well that, um, that I mentioned uh, a second ago. And, and it, it, is, it is just enormous fun. And... Um, you know, I know I've had students say to me before who've, who who took part in one of my drama projects, who said, oh, do you know, funnily enough, I still use some of those short phrases and that that I had to use in the play. And I, you know, and I found myself in situations where I've naturally needed them and they've been able to, you know, use them like that in a real world context. Mm-hmm. But so also, you, you know... Do you create your own plays or do you use, no. you know, famous ones or, you know, ones that are already created and stuff like that? Yeah, well, that's a really good question, actually, because there, there, there aren't that many, but there are some which are specifically written for the ELT market. Oh, really? So it means, yeah, yeah, there are some, but it, in my in my view, that they're, they're a bit too simplistic and they don't really reflect real world yeah. languages. That's always the problem. It's too contrived, right? Something is exactly. Yeah. So, in fact, all, you know, all the times I've done it with language with English language learners is I've used. Um, a one-act play written by, uh, you know, a, a native speaker author. Yeah. So, um, you know, so the language is 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 very naturalistic. Yeah. You know, lots of unfinished sentences and interruptions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lots of you know short utterances. Yeah. Like you know, things like you know, come off it. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, and that's really yeah, interesting yeah. because you know when you say when you have a line like come off it on paper it might look like nothing but because of everything yeah. around that the whole context you really do have to focus on you know uh use of voice uh, and and body language as well because absolutely. that's absolutely one of the things that definitely gets left out i feel with many you know language classrooms is that 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 aspect of all the non-verbal communication that comes with english because you know we different cultures have different uh, prompts and ways of communicating non-verbally as well so you kind of have to lean into that so it's a really interesting way to kind of explore that yeah just uh, just on on that subject actually this is something i've been thinking about myself a little bit uh, recently uh, that you know we really are as 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 community of language teachers we we really are and should be teaching communication as well as the language so to speak right um and definitely one of the things i try to do with my students is i try to get them uh, i try to um 
help them to to understand the value of being able to you know work with a situation even if there's some language you don't understand or you know it's it's, it's skills like um, you know meaning from context and, and and things like that kind of getting by with what you've got and I think that's one of the things that's really advantageous about authentic materials is that you know students have to learn those skills to be able to deal with authentic materials because authentic materials are you know real world and they're going to have challenges you know it's not like oh i'm going to construct this text with you know 95% of the words that i know this student will understand anyway um you know and then and then it's all synthetic and they and one of this is this is one of the things that that really what's the expression grinds my gears or whatever is like synthetic audios like there's so much of it in elt you know and it just sounds so you know so unnatural it's like what do you mean by Hello. synthetic audio so uh synthetic audios like um two people reading in kind of a presenter voice uh reading a script in an audio so it's like hi i just got home from work oh how are you doing today and kind of this like uh, what I think of as being um, the kind of intonation that you would only, I don't know, it, it, it's, it, it's not natural. It's not the yeah. way that people actually speak. So I suppose yeah. that's what that's what I mean by that. Yeah. Ele- yeah, elements of, I suppose you might, in acting, you might call it kind of, um, you know, hammy acting or overacting, right? And I, I feel like there's a lot of that in like ELT audios. And probably the reason for that is uh, the kind of people who are recording those audios are teachers rather than actors. So they're bad actors, right? And they kind of yeah. do it like they're in sort of a, a GCSE play or something, I suppose. Yeah. 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 No, I think that, yeah, I think that's, that, that's absolutely right. And, you know, going back to the use of, to the use of plays and, you know, natural use of language, you know, certainly, you know, one thing I strongly encourage if teachers want to, to do this kind of drama project is it's not just a case of getting students to repeat lines mm. time and time again. You know, it's not about that. So what I try and well, what I do do when I do a drama project is I get students to improvise yeah. around a particular context or right. around a particular scene. And just yeah. you know, I'm just sort of referring to your point about encouraging students to draw on their own resources. Mm. Um, and so you know, I'll. You know, there might be a scene in the play that we're that we're putting on. Um, it might be, you know, a family around a kitchen table. Mm. And so before we even look at the text, I say, right, okay, let's just imagine, right, you know, we're all sitting around a kitchen table. This is the topic of the conversation. There's a problem. Okay, let's talk about it in character. And so I'll get students to improvise, you know, around that topic. And then we look at the text and see how it was done in the, you know, in the in the context of the play, but going back to sort to, to to the other point, which is ELT materials and the way listening material is presented, yeah, it's really cringeworthy some of it. <laughs> but but also, so it is. I mean, I suppose it is for a reason. But I suppose it depends on the purpose of mm. the listening. You know, the recording. Right. If it's right. to develop, you know, if it's a listening skills lesson. Right. then you'd want it to be fairly naturalistic. Yeah, right. Um, even for lower levels, yeah. low level learners. Yeah. You know, but obviously you don't want to overwhelm elementary yeah, school yeah. and all the rest of it. There's a, yeah. there's a balance there. But for me, there's another issue, which is yeah. the way things like, you know, the, the way people are presented in course book material. Right. I'm kind of going off topic a little bit here. But it's yeah. like... but. It, but the example you gave, though, Rich, kind of reminded me of it. I won't mention 
the course book. It's a course book I generally love, but yeah. it's very UK-centric. And so ah. family is always mother, father, daughter, son. And they're sitting around the breakfast table. Morning, darling. How are you? Did you sleep well? Yes, thank you. And what about you? Hmm, Not too bad, thanks. You know, and it's so contrived. Right, right, right. Uh, So I've got a bit of of an issue. Yeah. It's like they're not not sitting on the floor using chopsticks, right? (laughs) Or or whatever, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. Yeah, I I think that's that's a valid point. And, you know, uh, I think think there might be a place for that for students who have a particular interest in British culture or they're moving to the UK or something. But on the other hand, you know, the vast majority of students are international probably yeah. will, will never visit England. And if they do, it will be, you know, a week holiday in London probably or something. Right? Yeah. Um, yeah, but so, then, if, yeah. you know, but even if you're talking about the UK, though, I don't even think that's a, that's a pretty, I don't think that's a very accurate reflection of, of the way the UK right. is these days. Right, right, that's true. Yeah. So, <laughs> many, well, probably, probably ever was, really. You know? yeah, yeah. It's, it's almost like a, it's, it's just a stereotypical kind of, yeah, just a, I mean, I, 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 will, space, I will celebrate the day an international course book presents a family with a same-sex couple. <laughs> yeah. Wouldn't that be great? Yeah, yeah. Wouldn't that be, you know, but well, they, you know, publishers wouldn't dare. It sounds like from, you know, what you're talking about, that especially with the theatre, it might be better to just kind of give a scenario. There's a family at the breakfast table and, mm. you know, give some prompts to kind of, go into go into that to explore the language um you know in a course book rather than kind of having this box contrived situation but it's kind of odd though because when when they're doing that they're right in their mind they're right well what's the broadest way that we can kind of present this language so anyone can kind of use Mm. it whereas by doing that they've left it you know synthetic uh, inauthentic and quite narrow and not representative of anything so they kind of Mm. shot themselves in the foot so you know having presenting something like you say just uh like a a scenario of which the kind of teacher can kind of explore with the students Mm. might work better but the the issue with that sort of stuff um is what do you do with new teachers so you know if they were to get a course book they'd go okay now let's put your students together and we're going to give them a scenario of uh there's breakfast with the family and oh there's this this issue how does like a new and experienced teacher approach that and Mm. they're they're kind of leaning on a course book Uh, how do they kind of tackle that without that kind of that background and that knowledge because we, we've all been green behind the ears so what what would you say about tackling kind of that scenario and getting into theater and you know building that up that skill yeah i know that, that's an absolute fair question and i you know but one thing though I'd, i would say generally speaking you know in language teaching i, I think you know uh, uh Teachers need to to use up a whole range of devices and tools and materials. So you know, in in this context of a new newly qualified language teacher, maybe fresh off a CELTA course or something or whatever. Even that uh, <laughs> printed, a, printed a certificate <laughs> from the internet. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, yeah. So uh, Neil Neil taught in in China for some time, Mark, and I think he knows yeah. that. Yeah. Out there in China, you get. 
you know, people who it's, are like you know, fresh, can be, fresh off the plane. It like, can be the know, Wild West, can't it? And, you know, <laughs> it can be backpack teachers that just you yeah. know, go in with a guitar or even just go in with a, a chirpy attitude and absolutely no background whatsoever. So, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. like, um, you know, how, how do we make this accessible for them? And Well, um, there's a really good book called Teaching English with Drama by this <laughs> <guy>. Printable <laughs> lessons used <laughs> instantly. <laughs> no, no, I think that's that's uh, hugely valid. And we've not really touched on, on, on that book. But, you know, sometimes the more experienced teachers, they need that scaffold. So, you know, to, to move with that. And it, your yeah. drama book is, you know, one that I would definitely recommend because it's really easy accessible you can use it instantly oh thank you yeah i mean I, you know if you if you think back to the 80s i oh, know you, you probably weren't you were born after the 80s weren't you you two young lads no. 1983 <laughs> 83 but, you know, for me. Yeah. um back in the 80s um uh michael littlewood was you know publishing books on communicative language teaching uh, and he talked a, a, a lot about structured dialogues, you know, A, B, A, B. Yeah. Student A says this, student B responds with this, and student A responds with this, and student B responds with that, and all the rest of it. And so, you know, and of course that has its place, and I think, you know, you still find activities like that in certain language classrooms and, and, and materials. In it, um, And I think that would be a good place for a novice teacher to start with structured dialogues. But you've got to think, you know, if... If people are um, have gone into the field of language teaching, you would hope that they have an inherent interest in language and communication, so they would have some idea about the structure of spoken communication, at least. Mm. Um, uh, and so, you know that's a good starting point, isn't it? And this is something I tell novice teachers I train all the time. You know, mm. they're in the middle of teaching practice. And, you know, a language item crops up and they think, oh, my God, I've not prepared for that. I've got no idea what that means. And the student just asks me, oh, my God. You know, they just want the ground to swallow them up. Mm-hmm. And I just say, well, look, just take a moment and just think about, um, you know, a time in your life when you might use this expression, contextualise it. Mm-hmm. Think of a natural example. Write a couple yeah. of ideas up on the board. Yeah. And, you know, that's what I encourage novice teachers to do, yeah. to do all, the, all the time. So for novice teachers using drama... Um, you know, using structured dialogues, okay, that that's fine. Um, and, you know, the next step from that would be getting them to do kind of what I would call a guided, structured improvisation with their students. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that involves lots of questions and prompts and the students working in groups, they have to discuss the questions and build a scene, think about the characters that are involved in the scene and, you know, encourage them to be creative uh, and let the students take it, take it from there. I guess as novice, you know, novice teachers, when I think back to when I first started teaching, I think I was a little bit afraid of letting go of, of my responsibility or authority in the classroom. And that's a big lesson I've learned over the years. Um, it's good for me. <laughs> to have a bit of a rest <laughs> but it's also of course mm. great for students because you're getting you know you're putting the ball in their court you're saying yeah. right i've given you a bit i've given you some prompts and some ideas now yeah you go over there you think about it you talk about it i'll come over in a minute and listen in and 
help if necessary. And I think, you know, novice teachers need to start doing that, I think, you know, as, 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 soon, as, they, as soon as they can. And that would include, you know, using certain drama activities. Yeah. It, it's, funny. It, it's funny because it, what it sounds like is you're basically saying, you know, these novice teachers... They've already got a whole bunch of stuff. They've got their their natural language skills. They've got interpersonal skills, soft skills. Lean into that. Lean into you know, kind of being, uh, you know, focusing you know on just kind of like building that relationship and you know having, um, you know, going from context, but also you know then kind of building up from structures from there. And I I guess it's kind of the the. The novice teachers that I've come across, the back type teachers that I've come across that um, do that success are successful, as in you know they're very they're employed. The students love them. Do exactly what you just described. They just they just kind of went there instinctively, and it's, mm-hmm. it, it can often be annoying for more experienced teachers because the, these experienced teachers are coming from this place of like, I'm an authority, I know what English is, I know what to, how to teach and everything like that, yet their favourite teacher is the, the more human teacher that's yeah. not got any experience. So it's kind of a, a really good point to reinforce mm-hmm. in, you know, it really is hugely important to be just you know human and approachable yeah. in the classroom and, in, and and focus on that because that's mm. kind of like a base point to kind of go further in different directions yeah. where, with learning yeah no absolutely and i you know it, it's easy for us to say because we're all seasoned teachers and teacher trainers mm. uh, as a novice teacher though you know you're gonna mm. you know a lot will be lacking in confidence and, you know, to say to a novice teacher, just go in there, <laughs> just go with the flow, just see how it goes and just respond to things that crop up and then just go with it, you know, as you, you know, yeah. as you fancy it. But um, yeah. it's easier said than done. Yeah. But it doesn't mean, though, that we can't try and instill this kind of approach in novice yeah. teachers. And, you yeah, know, yeah. it's a piecemeal kind of process. Yeah. Um, and that's why, you know, in, in, in my book, you know, put, putting the human centre stage, I do focus a lot on um, social science, um, aspects of social science, um, things like neuro-linguistic programming and flow theory by um, Csikszent Mihai, who is, a, who is a Hungarian psychologist. Uh-huh. Um, and I mean, let's, I mean, if we take his flow theory, for example, mm-hmm. I mean, he's written several books and articles on flow theory in mainstream education, but also in life in general and in sport, flow theory is often referred to in the training of athletes. Um, but inside the classroom, you know, one of the things um, that flow theory suggests should be achieved is that students kind, kind of lose all sense of time during the process of learning during a lesson. Mm. meaning that the lesson is sufficiently challenging and it's engaging, um, that the teacher presents it in in, in a way um, that is uh, positive and um, communicates to students that there is a real value in what they're doing in class. So engaging, you know, students in, in this way. And so 
when students, you know, you're teaching and students are engaged and they're talking to each other and interacting and they're learning from each other as well, really, really important. That by the end of it, you know, it's like, oh, blimey, is that the end of the lesson? You know, and I think, you know, a lot of us, I'm sure, <laughs> I have once or twice, you know, had students at the end of a lesson and I say, okay, right, well, it's time to go now, everybody. And students say, what, what happened? Where's the time gone? <laughs> <laughs> I think once or twice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's a lovely, lovely feeling. Yeah. Because you think, my God, you know, they, they must have been, they must have enjoyed that so much and yeah, right. found it interesting and useful mm. and challenging. And, and these are the things I, I, I focus on in, in, the, in the book. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, it, because of my theatre and drama background, you know, I, I was desperate to get um, kind of the idea of drama and theatre in the title. The publisher wasn't that keen. But, you know, I wanted it in there. But, you know, I think this concept of edutainment is really important and is not a dirty word. Mm-hmm. Um, I do not think the classroom is a stage. I don't think the teacher performs as a performer performs on stage mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. What I, you know, and I hope that doesn't come across in in the book. What what I really hope to communicate to 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 readers is is that there are aspects of of actor training and theatre training and aspects of you know taking from these social sciences like NLP and and, and flow theory and this whole common concept of teaching as art mm, mm. and you know how how we can borrow from them because you know a lot of these are areas you know there are lots of things we can learn mm. in order to develop rapport in the classroom oh, in yeah. order to make learning in yeah. engaging so this, um, this 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 reminds me of um like a, a quote a quote from you mark which sort of um which stuck in my head, uh, which was, I think it's something like, we we spend a lot of time uh, training teachers what to do, but not how to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how, do, how does that come into things? Right, so so there, I, I guess I'm, I think I'm talking about, um, actually I know I'm talking about, <laughs> uh, but I'm talking about kind of teacher identity really, and, and teacher self. Mm. So, you know, when, you know, I teach sociolinguistics at the uni. That's one of my modules, and uh, I go quite a lot into what Goffman talks. He talks about face. Yes. Um, yeah. yeah. And and about the way we adapt our behaviour and our language according to who we're talking to, mm. according to the context, according to the purpose of the communication, and all the rest of it. Mm-hmm. So I think it's true to say that we, generally speaking, as human beings, have different faces. You know, going to a shop, we behave in a particular way. We're, with, mm. we're in a classroom with students, we behave in a particular way. Mm. We go and ask our boss for a, a pay rise, etc., <laughs> etc. Cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So there, I'm referring to teach teach self and teach identity, and it's it's a funny area, really. And um, it's, I do find yeah. it difficult sometimes to articulate, but yeah, you know, there's this whole idea of you know teachers are born not made. You're either born a good teacher or, you know, if you're not, you know, do something else sort of thing. Mm. Um, and I don't agree with that. I think, mm. you know, yeah, certainly, you know, some good teachers are born and they seem to naturally have the classroom charisma that you mm. need to create that right 
kind of environment in the classroom. And there, yeah. you know, and there are different kinds of teachers with different personality types mm-hmm. who perhaps would struggle confronted with 30, 15-year-olds mm. in a classroom. And they have, you know, but they've got into the profession, Mm. hopefully because they want to help young people, teach them, educate them and all the rest of it. So, you know, they need to to think about perhaps creating a teacher self. And it wouldn't be something from scratch. It would be elements of their perhaps out of classroom. Yeah. With other things thrown into the mind that you would want to achieve in a, in, in a classroom. So that's what I mean by being a teacher. You know, methodologies, do this, do that, use this material, use that material. Whereas, you know, what I'm talking about is how we are, how we come across, mm. what we think of ourselves mm. as teachers. Yeah. That's one thing. How we are perceived by our students. Yeah. Um, I, I can totally. You know, Sorry, with the, it's all about self-monitoring as well. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I, I, I can I can totally relate to that, Mark. Uh, I mean, I am I'm definitely naturally an introvert. You know, I feel that, and so the idea of kind of uh, playing a role in social situations is definitely something I'm familiar with. You know, I I really do feel like I, I you know I, I do play a role in, in in social situations, and I remember when I first started teaching. Um, my kind of default, because obviously it was, I remember it was really nerve wracking actually. And um, I actually didn't have any teaching qualifications when I started. I was, I was a backpack teacher uh, who just walked into an institution and then was told you're teaching first certificate. Here you go. Um, <laughs> didn't even know what the first certificate was at the time. Um, and I remember going in obviously being incredibly nervous, but I remember that the default like stereotype role I gave myself was like this kind of, uh, teacher that you see on TV, you know, sort of writes things on the board and points to it, and you know that kind of thing, almost like chalk and talk, you know, because that was the that was the idea in my head of what a teacher should be, and you know, my development um, as a teacher very much, especially when I did the diploma, I think I got a lot out of that. Um, and uh, there's this, there's again quotes stick in my head for some reason. But uh, there's a quote from Adrian Underhill where he says, "Don't have a teacher-to-student relationship; have a person-to-person relationship." Um, and I, you know, that was uh, a real kind of aha for me. You know, this kind of like you just obviously you have a special role as a teacher. You, you're you're the organizer, the facilitator, and and you're all this kind of. Yeah, right. And the director, you know, you're not just going in there to be their mates or whatever. But the idea that, you know, as much as possible, you talk to them just, you know, person to person. You know, I think that's really important, you know, and and, and, and learning about roles of teachers who do that. Mm. I think it's I think it's it's very useful. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, we have all, you know, all teachers have gone through an education system. We've all had experience of being taught. We've all had experience of what we personally would call a great teacher, a mediocre teacher, and a crap teacher. And we are inevitably influenced by good and by bad teachers we've had. Mm. Um, and also, you know, it's picking up on one thing you said there, Rich, <clears throat> about, uh, you know, about our own perceptions of, of teachers through through multimedia or media. 
Mm. Um, and you know, I think it's quite a nice thing. It's one of the things I, one of the exercises in my book. It's it's getting trainees or you know teachers to think about films they've seen and and how teachers are portrayed in those different films. Mm. Um, because you know there are, there's a whole list of films where yeah. teaching school is the main focus. Mm. And you know, and and so it's a great um, opportunity to to talk about different teachers. And you go off and say, right, you go and watch that film. You report back and tell me, you know. So mm. you know, how did the teachers come across? How were they portrayed? Um, what made them good? What you know, what made them bad? And all the rest of it. it you know, it's, we're inevitably influenced by these things mm. and by teachers we've had ourselves. And of course, we have our own personas. Yeah. And, you know, the word persona comes from Greek, meaning mask. Right. Yeah, right, right. Um, uh, you know, so throw that in, you know, uh, into the uh, into the mix as well. You know, elements of our own persona. Hmm. Um, and yeah, I mean, whether you, can, whether you call it persona or role or mask, you know, we're kind of talking about same, the same thing there, aren't we? Hmm. But, yeah, and of course it's going to vary because... You know, at the moment at uni, I, I teach undergraduates and postgraduates. They're all adults, uh, uh, you know, and that's how I communicate with them. Mm. If, if I go in and uh, I have to teach a group of 11-year-olds, mm. I would, you know, adapt my behaviour in, in the way I communicate with them. So you just make these adjustments. Yeah. So, what you know, what it's this element or this dimension of teaching that I think yeah. gets neglected on teacher training courses. Yeah. The, yeah. you know, how we can make those adjustments, you know, what the adjustments are, identifying the adjustments we need to make, thinking of, you know, and, th and that includes, you know, the kind of the language we use in the classroom. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah. how, how would you, how would you explain that to a teacher to identify, you know, which persona <laughs> to to put on because mm. we there's it seems mm. like there's a uh a mix like you have mm. your authentic self where you yeah. are as your person and then you kind of like turn that up to 11 mm. and then you've got you have to take that person and mold them into yeah. the teacher role that you step mm. that you have that's like an overarching yeah. meta thing and then you have a, a persona that's kind of based mm. on whoever it is that you are teaching, you know, be it kids, be it adults, be it whatever different culture that yeah. you're in. How do you uh, mm. explain to a teacher, uh, a novice teacher, well, this is kind of like your, these are your metrics. These are your little things that you've got to tweak. You know, yeah. what, do, what do you say to a teacher? Could, could I interject a second, Neil? Sure, I had something ahead. on my mind. I kind of want to mention it. It's kind of surprising it hasn't come up just yet. But um, for me, it was very much uh, getting into um, lesson observations. Um, obviously, being observed by, uh, by kind of competent teacher trainers can be useful because they can steer you in certain ways. We've talked about that in the past, like, you know, uh, I've learned a lot from being observed and being saying, hey, why don't you try some, you know, TBL? This is what it's all about. Give it a go next time, see what happens or things like that. But also observing other teachers, I think, for me, was amazing, you know, because that's really the thing. You know, if we go back to the pantomime example, it was me seeing someone do that and being with them and going, oh, that's awesome. 
I'm going to try that now, you know? And when you actually see someone do it, you can really see like, ah, that's how you do it. And that's how it works. Okay. Uh, you know, not that, you know, you can't just read it in a book and give it a go as well. I think there's a lot of value in that. But if we're talking about giving teachers the confidence to kind of try new things, which we were sort of talking about before, you know, I think, I think that's a major area. And as Mark was suggesting, you know, watching different films and, and seeing these kind of teachers and talking about those kind of person, personas that these teachers have, but also, you know, uh, finding people, uh, kind of mentors, right, uh, they, who, are, who are more kind of experienced teachers and just jumping in the classroom and, uh, and also, you know, having a look at the different, because lots of people teach in very different ways and they can be equally effective. You know, Absolutely. doing things totally differently. And I find that fascinating. So it's kind of like modeling yeah. in a way. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I've trained teachers before and, we've, and these kinds of questions have, have cropped up. And, you know, some have said to me in the past, you know, oh, I remember, you know, I had a physics teacher at school, really, really quietly spoken, um, but was very quietly confident and, and, and was quietly encouraging um, uh, and, you know, I, I, and that particular teacher I, I, I was teaching said, um, you know, and I was really successful in, in, in the subject because, you know, largely because of the way that teacher taught me. So, you know, it doesn't mean you have to be an all singing, all dancing clown of a teacher in order to get to get students engaged. Yeah. You, know, there are there, you know, there are lots of different teacher cells if you like yeah um yeah, yeah. but in terms i mean in terms of observation and i you know I, I think that's it's a really important point i didn't catch everything you said rich because i think my internet connection went down a little bit yeah which is why yeah, i've moved I my laptop around okay <laughs> i don't yeah. know if it's working now yeah. but, but i think but that's so that's so important because also you know neil's um neil's question um i, I don't I, I don't think you can be as kind of scientific as that Neil you know in terms of saying right so you know this is the teacher self you need to adopt with this particular group of learners it's it's not I don't think it's as black and white as that it's um mm. you know self-reflection self-monitoring you know yeah. honest feedback from an observer these are yeah, you know true. these are absolutely vital vital things and, you know, I would say, for example, if a teacher is struggling with a particular group, I'd say, right, ask a colleague who you really trust to come in and observe, and then you can talk about it afterwards. Mm. And, you know, there's no point giving fluffy feedback if it's not going to be helpful, you know, just mm. to avoid hurting the other person's feelings. Mm. Obviously, you've got to be diplomatic. <laughs> just like, mm. that'd be awful. You know, you've got to be constructive, but you've got to be honest. Mm. Otherwise, really, you know, what's the point? Yeah. Um, and you know, I I don't know. It, I I would say, and I guess I can mainly speak just from personal experience that my my classroom self has a lot of elements of my out of classroom self. So, um, so obviously, I'm a professional. I'm paid to do what I do. I've got a responsibility. I've got to get students through the courses, and you know, and I've got to support them, show them how they can work independently outside of class, and all the rest of it. All of those duties and responsibilities I've got. But there are certain elements of my, you know, I'm I might not come across this interview, but I'm quite a playful person. You know, I try. I don't take myself 
particularly seriously. I think that's really important. Uh, I'm playful. If something funny occurs to me in a lesson, you know, humour, sense of humour is incredibly important. Um, you know, I'll just spend maybe 30 seconds having a laugh with the students about something, whatever it, whatever it happens to be. So I think what, what I'm saying is that a teacher's classroom self needs to be very closely related to their out-of-classroom self. Otherwise, I think they will not come across as being genuine to their students. You know, if it's really obvious that the student is, 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 is putting on a, uh, uh, you know, playing a character, um, you know, students are very good at sensing BS. I won't swear during this illustrious interview. So, you know, students can, can immediately sense, oh, you know, God, that, it's embarrassing because that teacher is just trying to be cool with the kids and, you know, it's mm. coming across as completely inauthentic. Mm. You know, you need to be genuine. And it goes back to the Adrian Underhill quote, you know, nice. think about communicating human to human. And that includes a 50-year-old teacher talking to an 11-year-old student. Mm. Yeah, of course, nice. that. And 11, I mean, you know, I've got a 15-year-old daughter. You know, I mean, you know, when she was 11, she knew when I wasn't being genuine. Mm. You know, when I was, you know, when I was putting on a bit of a show and, you know, um, you know, they're not stupid. You know, you just, you, you know, you've got to be on a level. Yeah. Um, I can. I, I totally agree with that. I mean, what, yeah. what that what, what that kind of triggers for me is um, just those classes when in the past, you know, uh, I, maybe I've been going through the motions, uh, mm. having a bad day or something, and uh, go, you know, diving into whatever material is kind of prescribed for that particular class rather than sort of, you know, really thinking about it and customising it enough. And then, like, you know, as I'm kind of going through it, just thinking, God, this stuff's awful, it's boring. Of course the students pick up on it. Of course they think it's boring as well, you know, and of course yeah. it ends up being a bad class, you know. And it's yeah. like it's it's like the teacher, yeah, if you're actually into the material and if you're actually, you know, you kind of enjoy the class as well a little bit, you know, it really, I think that rubs off well on the students. Yeah. Mm. Oh, absolutely. We all pick up on other people's, non-verbal communication, don't we? Their behaviours, um, we pick up on, on their, their moods. And you're ab absolutely right. I mean, there are occasions when, for whatever reason, teachers are forced to use certain material and the teacher thinks, oh, God, this is awful, yeah. but I've got to use it. I've got no yeah. choice. Yeah. Um, and so that's an example where the teacher really does have to put on a mask and, mm. you know, in order to, to get through the lesson and to kind of sell it to the students. Yeah. They've got to put on. They've got to put on that mask. So there's sort of di different degrees of maskness, if you like. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's yeah. interesting because you know, I agree. It's not a. Um, it's not a sign. There's no. It's not a scientific method in that. You know, you can just go do this. Oh, this is the scenario. This. Or you take this. You take this. You take this, and you throw it in, uh, and that's the way you go with it. Um, so it's kind of. I think it's a really important point and I wanted to repeat it that you ha have someone to kind of uh, observe you and kind of give you feedback of, you know, kind of where you're maybe failing if your persona in a class isn't particularly working and also being authentic. Um, God, what, what was my point that was going to be? So, sorry, someone closed the door and I lost my track of thought. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, yeah. Go on. Well, I've I lost mean, it. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I mean, on, on the subject of prescribed materials, which is one of the things Mark was just mentioning, right? I mean, oh, that was some... it. That was it. Sorry. Oh, was it? Can yeah. I can okay, I jump in? Yeah, go ahead, Neil. Um, it was. <laughs> you you often talk about you know reflection and you know the teacher kind of thinking about themselves and their growth and what am I doing wrong and you know or not necessarily wrong or what can I do better or how can I engage them more so often it seems like to be better and more engaging it's you're trying especially with this prescribed material you're trying to find ways to engage with it you're trying to find ways to connect with it because once you have that you have that authentically then you can bring that into the classroom that was my point yeah yeah, it's a terrible point, Neil. Waste of time. No, I'm only joking. That's a very good point. That's a, that's, that's a really good point because I think that's, I mean, that's one of the reasons why I, I view teaching as a kind of an, an art form. I mean, when you think of musicians and artists, mm. you know, the musicians rehearse for, for hours. Mm. You know, artists, they draw sketches and, you know, do all kinds of preparatory mm. work before you know the final thing and i think we as teachers you know going through a process of self-monitoring and self-reflection adapting um yeah trial and error it's it's the same kind of concept in you know in my view actually and in that sense so the the kind of the 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 aestheticness of 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 teaching is there you know comparable to a musician or an artist yeah 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 i completely agree with that absolutely Mm. I mean, Neil, Neil, you, you, you know, you, you, you very much worked with prescribed material in in China, didn't you? And, yeah. um, and I mean, you, you know, you did what you can with that. Um, you know, we've all been, we've all been there. I mean, I, I was, I mean, you know, what I'm going to name drop them when I was working at British Council Hanoi. Um, very, very good institution in general. Great teacher training, brilliant materials. But there's one course that they had. Uh, it was IELTS, and it was all about just selling this IELTS course. And they wanted to really tell the parents what they were getting because it was high school IELTS, right? What the parent, what the parents were getting when they bought this product, and um, it was just so prescriptive. And I, I, you know, no one there could believe it. You know, even even the coordinators and stuff, they're just like. You know, we've got these teachers who, you know, the, the kind of average experience of a teacher at that, is, at that particular British council is like maybe 10 years, maybe a bit more, you know, so very experienced, really good teachers. And they were just giving them these PowerPoints and saying, this is your lesson, you go through that. And it even had the notes, you know, like almost like a lesson plan. This is what you do here. This is what you do there. And it's like, this is the kind of thing that you might want to give to a teacher who's, you know, just starting to give them, you know, some crutches to get through the, the first few, you know, the first few weeks. But you're giving it to these, you know, you're giving it to teachers who've got all these skills, you know, about um, adapting the lesson and and and, and customization and, and, and knowing what, the, you know, reading the students' needs and stuff. Giving these bloody yeah. PowerPoints, it was so bizarre, you know, I just, uh, but apparently it was all about, they wanted to sell very specifically to the to these parents what what their course was, so it was sort of a marketing thing. But yeah, yeah, it didn't work for me as a teacher at all. But it wouldn't wouldn't work for me either because it doesn't require you to be creative mm. in the slightest. That mm. that would that straitjacketing would destroy my very soul. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but yeah. also, I mean, to me, that kind of and, I, and I've heard that you know similar situations before in various mm. places, mm. Um, and it, it, you know, for me, it just demonstrates a complete lack of faith. In the skills of your teachers that's it so that's awful yeah 
Yeah, yeah. And, and if you, you know, maybe the way to do the marketing should be to sell that as the school, the skills that we've got great teachers, you know, yeah. rather than like, we're going to teach them exactly, uh, yeah. exactly these things. And I, yeah, I completely agree with this idea of creativity. Uh, I think, um, I think things can be too open sometimes, you know, obviously, we don't just want to say, a language class is a language class, go in and, and, and do whatever you want. I think it can be useful to have some boundaries, you know, a bit of a syllabus or whatever. These are the topics we're going to cover. And then, you know, let the teachers kind of free a bit with that. Not, you know, you will do this and this and this, you know. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. And I think you're, you're absolutely right. You know, for novice teachers, they do need, you know, crutches to support them, you know, and, and more sort of concrete um, guidance. Uh, but, but you know, you, you know, they also gradually need to be encouraged to be, to be creative. And, yeah. and that includes, you know, perhaps looking at this very prescribed material and think, well, okay, you know, we do insist you use this material, but yeah. you can kind of, you know, feel free to, you know, yeah. to supplement it, mm. to adapt it in whichever yeah. way in whichever way you want. I mean, you know, when I, when I think of, you know, I, I teach on the CELTA course, which I think is a, you know, brilliant qualification in, for many reasons, but it's quite prescriptive. Mm, um, yeah. But yeah. saying that, um, saying that, you know, I do, well, we as trainers try as much as possible to encourage those yeah. trainees who we think yeah. would be able to cope to... Yeah come away from the course yeah. and you know start creating their own materials that is really what i enjoyed about the tilek and the trinity diploma is that they were so focused on like <clears throat> trying new things and experimentation um still maybe not as much focused on it as i would like them to be but uh, i think i had very good tutors as well who were very keen on that aspect because i imagine a lot of it does depend on the tutors uh, but yeah, I, I I completely agree about the the CELTA. The CELTA's kind of just to get you going, isn't it? You know, it's yeah. like this is so you're not gonna panic when you get in the classroom. But then I yeah. think definitely uh, experience. And it needs to be. I mean, it needs to be prescriptive to to, to a point because yeah. it's an initial uh, qualification. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I think more of this idea of teaching as art uh, I think is is really interesting because I think that's generally what what we what we're getting to you know when we're getting more and more experienced it kind of becomes a more mm. of a meta thing it's not just you know like we're talk we're, we're, we're currently talking about ELT but then it goes to education and then I think kind of beyond this category of education it then goes into mm -hmm. art as like this overall you know like yeah. the highest level if we're talking like maslow or something like that so yeah yeah i agree i agree with you neil and you know it's um i know it's a little bit tangential and it almost a cliche as well to talk about creativity and education you know it's like maybe it's a bit of a cliche to say we need more creativity in education but i really do think we need more creativity <laughs> in education you know and i guess it's something that people have been saying this for ages as well you know we have this we have an education system which um 
you know, it's very much kind of based on the Industrial Revolution. And not only that, but uh, the kind of British education system is sort of was used as the model throughout the world. So the whole world sort of has this, you know, idea of rows of desks with the experts at the front writing things on the board. And, uh, you know, this answer's right, this answer's wrong. Um, and, you know, uh, it's it, it would be nice to get away from that. Not that, you know... Not that we should be encouraging people to be wrong, but maybe to try things that, you know, and, and also, you know, it's it's one of the things that I struggle with now, even when I get questions from students about, you know, um, you know, what's the right grammar here or something like that. And, you know, then, you know, being able to communicate to them, well, it's not really about like the exact right grammar. Like there's loads of different ways you can do it, you know, and just trying to get them away from that idea of thinking that, you know, they they have to use the grammar like this and even just away from grammar in general in my opinion but um you know i guess that's that sort of depends on the style of the teacher maybe mm. Mm. yeah there, you know there, there are lots of ways you know i mean earl stevick i don't know if you're familiar with earl stevick's work his, his seminal book um language teaching or way and ways um i mean this was published back in the even before I was born, no, maybe not. No, I was born in the seventies, um, very much sort of from the from the humanistic approach to 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 teaching, mm. and you know, just simply acknowledging, you know, way back then um, that there are, you know, there's more than one way of doing things, and it's not right or wrong. It's you know, yeah, possible and alternative. It's also yeah. possible, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I, I completely noticed this uh, in um, while I was teaching in Vietnam, uh, where they have very much an education system which is like that's right, that's wrong, you know, um, yeah. and, um, and 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 you see it, you see it in the kids that the kids at the younger ages uh, are very artistic. You know, um, they they love they love things like they, they're really influenced by Japanese culture and they, you know, they love drawing like anime and manga and stuff like that, you know, and, and sometimes they would doodle, you know, in the language class, you know, and, um, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd point it out and say, that's great, you know, show it to the other students, maybe even put it on the wall, you know, uh, and say, that's fantastic, because some, some of them were just brilliant artists, you know, even even young, you, you know, young young kids, and you could see as they get older and older, like there's less of that. And, you know, the parents kind of frowned on it. They weren't interested. What do you mean she's a good artist? I don't care. I want her to speak English, you know. Um, you know, um, it, it's like that's, that's, that's that, you know, it's not seen as being useful or something like that. And, and then what happens is you get to the adult stage, you know, and you, you say to them, okay, you know, we're going we're gonna to write a story today and this is how we're going to do it, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, you have to provide them with loads of scaffolding because they're not prepared to uh, just think of something you know oh, I don't know what to think of I, can't, I haven't got any ideas well yeah. I'm sure you have it's just that you've been trained to be right or wrong so yeah. therefore you you know oh oh no I'm not a good drawer I can't draw oh no I'm not a good storyteller right um and I think that's a shame and I think it it, it is something that comes from the education system yeah I, I mean I, I think you know growing up getting older really sucks isn't it because it's like <laughs> we are we are so pressured to conform uh, and you know to fit into society and play particular roles in particular ways, and you know very often creativity of young people is stifled because you know whoever parents or teachers or whoever 
you know, that, that they want to produce a child, yeah. you know, that will fit in, that will conform to these norms. And, yeah. and you know, as a result, you know, a lot of young people's yeah. skills, um, you know, whether they be artistic or, or something else, you know, mm-hmm. they're often undiscovered. Yeah. Because the child hasn't been encouraged to, you know, mm-hmm. to be creative. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's terrible. I, I, I totally agree. It's kind of what life is about. Maybe it's a bit risky, a bit, you know, the, the, it, it comes with a cost as well. You might miss yeah. out on some stability, but it's life. You only get you only get one. Yeah. <laughs> depending, on, depending on what you believe. Your, your, your story that reminds me of The Office. <laughs> Do you remember? Yeah. You know, the character Tim. And Dawn. Okay, Dawn. okay. She was yeah, the illustrator. illustrator. She wanted to do uh, illustration, right? Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah, 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 and it all turned out well for them. So, <laughs> so that's good. No, no, you're absolutely right. And of course, it, I mean, it's, it's easier said than done. Of course, it is. And mm. you, you know, and there might be some people listening to this and who say, "Oh God, you know," but you know, I'm just not in a position to take risks and yeah. you know, to go down a particular yeah. path because yeah. you know the dangers are too great. You know, so yeah, yeah, yeah. it's very difficult to yeah. To kind of for everybody to relate to this, but you know, to a great or lesser extent, you know, taking risks is yeah. is really important. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, while you know, we're here talking about English language teaching, and that certainly includes you know, language teachers. Take risks, try things out, experiment, be creative. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You no, know, reflect. Self monitor. The, the, the key aspects with using drama in when I've used it in classrooms um, and I've heavily used like role plays is it allows it gives students permission to take risks because one of the things with something like role play is they're not risking talking and you know being embarrassed if they're a diff- if they're a different character. And, uh, you know, working in Asia where it's like, oh, if, you know, Hyun Hai uh, says this, you know, then, well, you know, and she says it wrong. That's there's issues with face and, you know, there's embarrassment. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if Hyun Hai is playing the role of, you know, Drake, the famous rapper, I don't know where I went with him. <laughs> <laughs> You know, how would how would he talk about this? Not yeah. Hyun Hai. I don't want to hear from yeah, Hyun yeah, Hai. Yeah. You know, you know, there's risk because it's like, well, it's yeah. it's a subversion because they're yeah. like, well, that, actually, you know, I'm not risking me. I'm not risking my yeah. persona. Yeah, I've got yeah, this yeah, mask yeah. and I can, you know, be, that's, you know, one of the things that I really liked about drama is, you know, it's not just, yeah. you know, the teachers taking roles, but the yeah. students taking roles and allowing the kind of getting them giving them a, a get out of jail free card in terms of embarrassment mm. to their own persona in some ways yeah no Neil, i think that is an absolutely brilliant point and me as the supposed drama expert should have said that probably an hour ago but you're, <laughs> but you're absolutely right because i mean when i think back to drama projects i've done in the uk um with with you know asian students and um you know a lot of people know that often Asian students in the class, and you know, I don't like to sort of tar everyone with the same brush, but you know, for example, Japanese students, though they are quite reticent in the classroom, and they, for example, come to the UK 
and they're expected to interact with the whole class and speak mm-hmm. out all the rest of it. Yeah, they're reticent um, because they are worried about making mistakes and they're not used to speaking in public and, all, and that and that kind of thing. But exactly though, what, what you were saying, Neil, I found with the drama project, i.e., actually putting on a play with students. I found Japanese students to be just superb yeah. and have got so much value from yeah. the whole experience. Mm. Exactly for the reason you've said, and I should have said at the beginning of this interview. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, because it does, it gives them a kind of a mask to yeah. not not hide, well, kind of hide behind, or you know, that that playing a role. It's not yeah. them; it's a character they're playing. Well, that's kind of where um, the teacher comes in as well, because as a teacher, you're you're looking at them and going, hmm, because you're not just assigning roles willy-nilly. You're going, hmm, okay, this one's a little, this student's a little bit introverted. I, you know, Asian or not, it doesn't mm. matter. Um, I'm going to mm. give them the more outlandish role. And then, you know, you've got um, Bruno from Italy that's all psh, gesticulation. Uh, sorry, <laughs> I'm doing it again. Um, <laughs> where you could think of, well, you know, maybe something that he might benefit from would be more of a an insular role one where he's more he's got to observe a little bit more because you know he's you're not talking he doesn't maybe listen as much and you know you kind of want to promote that and for him to kind of grasp the the benefits of uh of that with with communicating because because i think mm. what we're kind of touching upon is we're not just talking about you know learning english we really are talking about um getting someone to communicate better um, yeah. and you know with more benefits yeah. to them so it, it is much much broader and it yeah. then it starts to delve into psychology and like well, yeah. are, you, are you trying to are you trying to change this person's behavior or are you trying to change their personality i think that's one of the um one of one of the one of the reasons to learn another language though uh, is that, you know, it does actually help you to think differently and to some extent act differently. I mean, you know, when I'm speaking Spanish, I am a little bit of, of a different person, you know, and actually I quite like that, <laughs> you know. I quite like going into Spanish mode, um, you know, and, and, and you know, I, I know from people who have learned German that, you know, it, 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 I know this is a massive stereotype, but it, they almost feel like they, they're more organised in German, you know, and stuff like that. Like, it's, it's like... Not stereotyping at all. Well, d- diversity of <laughs> yeah, diversity of languages, you know, are intricately related to how we think. Obviously, there's all kinds of different opinions on to what extent that's the case. But um, but you know, it's it's a strength. It's a strength for your person to have these different ways of being and different ways of thinking. And well, I, it I, helps you, know. you fit in the culture, as we've uh, we touched upon at the very beginning of the, the interview. You you know when when we've talked about learning English and, you know, a lot of this stuff being the UK, we're kind of trying to teach them the way that we think about, you know, English and communicate in the UK with all the idioms and stuff like that. And there's going to obviously be some bleeding of culture of like this, what it means to be an English native speaker, but, you know, from England. So it would make sense that, you know, when we are communicating and we're, we're learning different languages that we adopt this mentality but you know like what do you kind of think about with with that mark you know because you've got all this linguistic background and uh, as well you know is it important for the 
the learner to not just like learn English, but, you know, kind of do it through the facility of whatever culture that they're in and kind of have this persona of, uh, you know, this is me as an English speaker in, you know, be it an American English speaker or English or what, whatever. Yeah. Well, no, I, I think um, uh, making reference to culture while teaching language is inevitable and, for me, really, really important. And I think, obviously, that's going to depend on individual teacher to individual teacher. But, uh, you know, you might be, for example, a Scottish person teaching English in the US. Yeah. What, what are you going to do? What are you going to make reference to? Well, you know, uh, you know you'll make reference to all kinds of cultures, mm. you know, not just, not just your own. Mm. Um, but... You know, I think, um, you know, in that scenario, a Scottish teacher teaching in the, in, in the US, you know, I think there would be useful, interesting and valuable insight, cultural insight that that particular teacher could impart on those, on those students. So, you know, I think, you know, culture, the teaching of language um, goes hand in hand with, with, with teaching teaching culture is that what you, is, yeah is that what you meant I, th I think it was more that is it how much of it is our place to you know move away from just teaching english but to kind of to teaching communication to the point where this person you know the learner is going to be adopting a new persona is mm. I think I, 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 I did interject a little bit on there uh, that um, this is it's quite similar to uh, I would say it's quite similar to how a, how a teacher trainer would 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 deal with a, a teacher uh, in that you know the the at the end of the day the person steering the ship should be the student uh, but that the teacher can you know sort of help them navigate I suppose and that's certainly how I felt as a teacher and 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 having good good tutors. Uh, is that you know we we spoke with uh, with uh, Nicola about um, you know she was sort of the person that introduced me to TBL and that kind of get, became a big part of my of my teaching after that. But she obviously spotted it. She see, she saw that I wanted to kind of go in that direction, but I didn't I didn't know about it. You know I didn't know the territory, but I was heading in that way. And she's the one who kind of said, "Well, look, here's the map." Um, and then and then off I went. And 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 that would be my my answer to what you just said, Neil. That um, you know the students steer the ship, so they decide kind of what way they're going to go with the the, the their English persona and you kind of guide them whether that's with language or with communicative skills or even with even with culture if they're if they're interested if that's right. what they want want to know about mm. yeah no there's actually uh, a big question that I I wanted to uh, ask that kind of uh, and also to kind of start to to wrap this up so to be again be a bit of a devil's advocate you know we kind of were we were a bit down on the mainstream kind of say state public education where it's so you know standardized and prescriptive um but you know we know that one of the reasons for that is 
because we want to be able to assess we want to assess you know how well the teachers are doing how well the students are doing because how do we know that a, a student's not being lost in the mix if we don't if we um can't kind of assess them or say well they've done this this and this they know this this and this um you know they're they're, they're good but yeah i mean i wholeheartedly agree but we have a person on the show right now who you know if anyone is you know qualified to talk about how we can kind of take not just elt but you know like kind of like a state education and make it so we can introduce more creativity while also maintaining you know how we you know mm-hmm. make sure that students don't get lost in the shuffle and stuff um you know how how big question how do we do something like that mark yeah that's a big question i'll hand over to rich for that. <laughs> <laughs> no i haven't got a clue for that so, <laughs> so rich, back to the studio no, uh, <laughs> yeah uh, now uh, time for an advertisement break <laughs> <laughs> uh, i mean, I mean that, that that is a big question and so so you know on the one hand you're talking about assessment and and how we can you know usefully accurately assess our students learning that's a massive question and you know i know in the uk at the moment we've just got a new um, education secretary haven't we mm. uh yeah um, they've just done a, a shuffle right shuffle. They've done a shuffle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh dear. Um, that that you know, that's, but, doesn't sound great, does it? When he's like, "Oh yeah, how, mm. how are we talking about education? Oh, we just kind of shuffled someone in there. What yeah. was it this time? Yeah. What's their background?" <laughs> but you know, I mean, in, you know, in the UK, we've gone in recent years through phases of encouraging more continual assessment in schools, and so more project work, regardless of the the subject that's being taught. Mm-hmm. Um, but now we're back to exams. Exams, according to the so-called experts, they're the best way of assessing, you know, a, a student's learning. Or if they, they well are. in an exam. Yeah. So, um, well, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, um, no, I, I heard a bit about this, actually, Mark. And it's kind of an, an anecdotal, I suppose, because it's like someone I know who's studying a master's in education kind of told me. But they said that basically the, the, the current policy uh, was to kind of look at what China's doing and kind of point, point a bit towards that. And it's like, yeah, but what they're doing is copied from what we were doing in the 20th century. You know what I mean? Like, so what, what do we do with that? You know, It's like, oh, but they're, you know, uh, again, stereotypes, they're so good at maths and they have such high scores in this and we need to get that back in, in the UK. And it's like, do we? Uh, you know, I've, I've yeah. got a calculator. <laughs> do, I, do, I, do I need to be, uh, you know, I'm not saying that arithmetic is not a useful skill, right? But I'm just, I'm just saying, well, I don't know. There's actually pushback seems... on that as well because one of the things with... Your Chinese and many Asian languages, it's easier to do mathematics in that language because the the way that we talk about mathematics and arithmetic um, doesn't make sense. You know, like we say, you know, 10, 11, 12, we've got separate words for them. Whereas, you know, like in Asian languages, it's more like instead of saying 11, they say 1, 1. So, of course, it's going to be e- easier to learn 
English, uh, sorry, learn math when you're just having to, mm -hmm. you've already, you don't have to learn any is this, further. Is any, this ver ver verified from source? Have you spoke to the white? So, yeah, so, um, <laughs> well, no, uh, I, 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 Neil's, Neil's, I've observed, I've, is, you know, I've observed yeah. classes there, you know, where they teach, because okay. I was very, oh. I was interested in their approach because they don't do the, you know, they do the no child left behind um, yeah. Uh, yeah. approach and, and they really go over the fundamentals. So, you know, I think there's right. lots of benefits to it, but I think that yeah. it also, it works with their language as yeah, well. And, yeah, you know, yeah, whenever yeah, you look yeah, at top yeah. math leagues like Singapore, Hong mm. Kong, it's, yeah, you know, it's so much easier to do numbers, basically. Yeah. I'm getting, I'm getting off point, sorry. But um, mm. what, what were we talking yeah. about? <laughs> No, but I, I think I think it's a good point. I think I think not just not just about the language, but there are cultural things. There are like where its country is in development, and you know I think it's you know different. It makes sense for different countries to have different education systems. The idea of kind of uh, copying what happens here, there, and wherever you know. I, I've got some I've got some Dutch students, and I tell you what, they they rave about their education system, and uh, you know it's apparently it's very it's quite different to ours. Um, you know, and it, and it kind of sounds great. You know, it sounds like stuff that, in my opinion, I think would 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 be great over here. But obviously, you know, there's some there is some concern about measurable skills that's going on for better or worse. And you know, if we need to have that conversation, then I guess let's have that that conversation. But it's definitely it's a it's a tricky one, isn't it? Like the assessment, and even you know, why why do we do assessment? Well, people want pieces of paper that say that they can do something. And they really do want those pieces of paper, don't they? Uh, and so do the parents, <laughs> you know. Um, so yeah, I mean, is there a better way? I mean, you know, other than you know, sit down exams. Mm. Um, mm. I don't know, but you know, you mentioned countries like Singapore, though, though Neil. I know in Singapore, for example, they they are strongly encouraging <clears throat> what's known as positive education. Okay. Which is um, including on on the uh, in the curriculum um, uh, social skills, and students are assessed in certain social skills. And I think Ooh. that's a real leap forward. So yeah. basically, it's looking at education far more holistically, um, and in, in the sense that you know you come to school. Yes, you study maths, you study modern foreign languages, and this and that. But also a very important part of your education is to prepare you for the world after education, mm -hmm. i.e. going to the workplace and, you know, creating yeah. relationship groups, yeah. having relationships with people at work, yeah. and, you, know, work, you know, working positively with your boss yeah. and stuff like that. Mm. Uh, and so they've, they've, for a number of years now, introduced in, in Singapore, um, the, uh, you know, lessons in these yeah. kinds of social skills and I yeah. think that's, that's a massive for me it's a massive yeah. leap forward yeah I think that's I think that is massive and I think ironically you can get that in the UK but you have to go to a private school right and I remember when I went to university I, I went to a state comprehensive right and I, I had all kinds of gaps in my social skills as I said I'm, I'm an introvert but you know I just kind of went into university and, and floated through it and learned a lot as I went but uh, I could see that the people who'd gone to certain kinds of school they've been trained you know in a different like you know they really had ideas in their head like volunteering to gain experience so uh, my career works better for my career and networking and things like that that I was just 
I wasn't. Even, I was just completely clueless about my in my school. We didn't do. We didn't learn about any of that. That being important, you know. Um, and obviously, you know, it was quite clear that some people have. I don't. I don't. Again, I don't want to tie everyone with the same brush. I'm so I'm not. It's not always like that. But it did tend to be that state school educated people were just like, eh, it's just university. I'll just go through and do it. Whereas the private school educated people had obviously at some stage been given some sort of guidance or training on that, and they they. Yeah. See, they'd volunteer volunteer for things and they'd, you know, make lots of useful friends and stuff like that. Mm. But, you know, whatever you you think of, you know, private education, that's kind of another conversation altogether. But certainly, though, you know, generally speaking in the in the UK, obviously classes are smaller. Um, Schools are, are are cleaner. The resources are better. Yeah, uh, and so privately educated children mm. go to a school where you know, uh, you know, respect for your surroundings is mm. is really strongly encouraged and stuff like that. You know, I mean, if I think back to the school I went to, uh, I mean, it was awful. So obviously, obviously it, was, it was a state school, mm. and the, it was so run down. Um, uh, you know, there were holes in in walls and. Yeah. Um, it was just awful. Yeah. And of course, you know, when you get, you know, young children going to school in that kind of environment, then yeah. it's going to be hard for them to respect that environment yeah. and, and, you know, want to be there yeah. because it wasn't nice. It smelt. It was yeah, horrible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, classes were big. Yeah. So, yeah. I I very much felt in school that like my problems were my problems, you know, and the teachers, they were were good teachers. I I wouldn't say that, you know, I've definitely had some good teachers, but uh, certainly a significant number of the teachers were coming in, doing their job, going home. Yeah, they saw there was some sort of problem. Like there was lots of things like bullying and stuff at my school, you know, and hopefully these days were a bit better with it, you know, because obviously that was uh, the, the late 80s and early 90s. Uh, I would certainly hope that we'd be better at it. But, you know, going back to the summer school where I work, um, they charge a fortune, right? They charge just ridiculous sums of money to the students to come over, right? And, um, like, they're, they're so good on those kind of social issues, you know? It's like everyone's looking out for it. And if you see anything, like, you know, it's like it's we have this, uh, we had this, like, portal uh, where, you know, there'd just be notes like, oh, you know, so-and-so, student was looking a bit down could just be a bad day or is something else going on you know sometimes it was just a bad day but sometimes there was something else going on and we'd get to the bottom of it you know we'd just be like bang on it and I don't think there was like any sort of like uh, bullying or even exclusion going on there you know if someone's just hanging around on their own the the the, the, the staff the teachers and the, and the social staff were just so on it like of getting that person involved Right. Um, you know, and that's just amazing, you know. It'd be, be great. Amazing. It'd be great if that's how like all yeah. schools were, you know. Yeah. But but, but go yeah, but go back to the point of, of um sort of trying to uh, encourage these sort of soft skills in our in our students and thinking back to what Neil said some you know a little while ago about um about getting uh, particular students to play particular roles. And you know the example was okay. You you know you could in, you could ask um, a very outgoing, loud student to play a role that is very quiet and reflective. And I think that's you know that experience. Okay, it's it's not authentic, authentic. It's mm-hmm. it's practicing. You know, um, 
but you know, it, it, it might give that student a glimpse of what it's like to be that kind of person. So it's kind of, you know, not in a massive way, I don't think, but in a, mm. in a little way, but useful way, mm. encouraging empathy. Yeah. And that, that, you know, that's an example of, you know, yeah. kind of sort of the fringe benefits of using a drama approach can, can, can be in focusing on these, the, you know, the, these human skills that, that, that all of our students need during school and way beyond school for the rest of their lives. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I think we, when we talk about education, it <laughs> often ends up being too much focused on, you know, the knowledge, the information in state schools, you know, it's the, you know, all the stuff that's in the textbooks in our industry. It's English where it, it is, as you point out and, you know, eloquently put in your book, it's about the the whole self you know being the the human and you know looking to develop develop that and everything that that includes not just in this isolated context of just a language or whatever information mm. it's looking at the whole mm. yeah yeah well I, th I think we're gonna have to uh, start wrapping this up so um mm. what we'll what we'll do is uh we'll Richard and myself will just uh, give a little bit of a, a plug to our avenues and then what we're going to do is I'll just leave the the last section with you Mark you can plug uh, any of and all of your uh, projects that you've got going on here and uh, give us some final thoughts as well so um I'm Neil of Team Teacher. Uh, if you want to look for more of my stuff, go to teamteacherchina.com. Got a whole bunch of PowerPoints that you can download and use instantly in your classroom. We've got Team Teacher China, the YouTube channel, where we kind of uh, join those PowerPoints with videos to kind of give you examples of how to use them. Team Teacher Baby, where I use my experience as a, a father uh, and a teacher to, you know, kind of show how I kind of combine it and Team Teacher English, where I take a whole bunch of those PowerPoints and I put them into self-study quick videos for kids. And Professor Rich? Uses the garden slash Professor Rich. Uh, weekly live streams, English teaching, etc., etc. On another note, if you're watching and you feel that you have something to contribute to this discussion, uh, then we might be very happy to have you on the show. You can drop us an email at eltundercovers at gmail.com. Yeah. And Mark, please. Uh, okay, well, I'll just say, just say a few words. So um, uh, Mark Armand, and uh, as you probably have gathered by now, my main interest is in the use of theatre and drama. In, in language education, but also in teacher uh, education. And I have two books. The first book came out uh, 2005 called Teaching English with Drama. Um, and my second book came out in tw uh, 2019 called Putting the Human Centre Stage. Um, and both are published by Pavilion Publishing. And we'll put links below for okay. uh, you to... You'll go buy those. Mm. Yeah, congratulations. Well, have, I haven't eaten for ages, so please buy the book. <laughs> congratulations, Mark, on being our longest interview yet as well. Notice. And do you do you have any th uh, final thoughts that you w would like to leave um, our viewers with? 
Well, I guess, I mean, I suppose to sum up um, what I've tried to articulate during this interview, I know I've kind of gone around in circles a little bit and perhaps uh, not, you know, not been as coherent as I, as I could have been. But it's just, um, I, you know, I, I wish there were more focus on um, these elements of, of, of teaching and what it means to be a teacher. Uh, think much more about the rapport that you develop with with students. Think about the importance of it. Um, think about how you manage interaction in the classroom uh, and never, ever stop self-reflection and thinking about how, you know, you can always improve and, and develop. Yeah, I totally, I totally agree with that. I mean... Uh, that's one of the things I really like about teaching. There's no such thing as a perfect teacher. You can only you can only keep you know keep improving, keep changing, keep trying new things. You know. Yeah. Wonderful. Remember, right. like, share, subscribe, uh, send a message to your mom, <laughs> and we'll see you next time. Bye bye. Bye bye.